All right, hello and welcome to another episode of the Business Munchies. This is where Sahil and I will explore different business ideas. Some of them stupid, some of them good. But the point is to just you know look at different industries and see where the opportunities are. So with that, let's get started. The first thing I'm going to start with, Sahil. Remember the whole discussion that we had around why isn't there a practo for lawyers? Turns out somebody, one of our listeners, reached out. Uh, Harish Yadav, who's the founder of Upskilly, which helps teams hire engineering talent, he pointed out that according to law, you're not supposed to market your lawyer services. Can you can't partner with anybody else to market these services? So Bar Council technically prohibits you from doing that. I read the the big you know fourteen page document. I didn't. I mean, I skimmed through it. One two things that that I found were uh, an advocate shall not enter into a partnership or any other arrangement for sharing remuneration with any person or legal practitioner who's not an advocate. Um, so. So that is that is quite clear cut. Exactly right. Uh, that's that's straightforward. You can't really partner with anybody else. So I guess that's why there's no practo for lawyers. I am hundred percent sure somebody would have thought of this and then run into issues. What he also told me, which was uh, slightly more interesting, is a lot of these you know legal tech startups end up running into issues, you know, legal issues and stuff like that, and are subject to lawsuits because they are operating in this gray area. I did not know about this. We stand corrected. We now know where there, why there's no practo for lawyers. But I still stand by the fact that there can be a practo for CAs. There can be a practo for digital marketing agency and other kinds of professional services. Unless somebody comes and tells me CAs can't market themselves either. As soon as you said that, it made sense why there is no practo for lawyers because it just seems so obvious. Because this is this is also a heterogeneous uh, industry, just like doctors. And yeah. uh, any heterogeneous industry um, will need some kind of sorting, will need some kind of like trust base, like reviews and all that stuff. My question is that the law very clearly says that lawyers can't share their revenues with non-lawyers. But what if a lawyer starts this company and what if the entire company is just lawyers who learn tech? Or, I mean, okay, it's, it's a really stupid uh, way to get around the law, but I mean... Uh, that's exactly what the law says. So I mean, I, I'm sure there, there are a bunch of other like you know caveats in the whole thing which make it difficult and and just not worth yeah. it, I guess. So this was, as I said earlier in the episode, some of the ideas are stupid. This was one of those stupid ideas. Um, there's a reason why this hasn't been done. All right, let's move on to the next one. Okay, this is going to be interesting. Sahil and I both don't have kids, which makes this whole discussion even more funny. But the whole preschool and daycare market in India is something that I read about and I'm bullish on, you know, rattling off some numbers that I came across 15,000 crore market right now, uh, slated to grow about 20, 23% CAGR over the next three, four, five years, which a large enough market for people to take multiple takes on it or do, you know, do interesting, uh, find interesting niches on it. The niche that I am most excited about is corporate daycare. Uh, most of the daycare that we see in this country is more B2C. Uh, but before I go deeper into corporate daycare, here are some reasons why I'm bullish. Urbanization is happening at a very fast clip. I think this is the decade where we go from 30% population in urban centers to 40% population in urban centers, right? With urbanization, there's obviously increase in, in income, increase in disposable income. All of that happens. 
nuclear families are on the rise uh they've they've significantly increased over the last decade or so so it's generally you know families are generally now 3 4 5 people um and without any elderly to take care of kids women are now joining the workforce significantly more than earlier i think there's a huge rise in uh you know girls who are part of the education system and therefore when they come out they're going to be ready to take part in the workforce which is also very important kunal shah of cred keeps talking about how unless the women sort of take part in economic activities the gdp of the country is not going to rise significantly right um so that's that's happening we see more and more women being part of the workforce all of this combined uh with the fact that a child's um IQ or mental development uh, happens a lot between zero to five, eight zero to five, right? Makes me think the daycare preschool market in India is only going to keep increasing, given the number of young people we already have who are yet to have kids and stuff like that. Our median age is twenty seven. A large chunk of people are going to have kids in the next ten, fifteen years. Now. to give you some like you know businesses that are already in this space and the kind of revenues that they are doing there's kidzy has i think 700 plus centers does about 150 crores 170 crores in revenue growing at 20% then there is euro kids which does about 400 crores in revenue has 350 centers or at least a center has 1000 centers across 350 350 cities a lot of them have gotten you know private equity investment after they've scaled franchisee model is the most common way of scaling this where you provide all the resources all the trainings the setup and everything and then you know uh, micro entrepreneurs in various cities take up franchisees and run these the model that i'm most excited about is what clay uh k l a y a company from whitefield bangalore started doing was started tying up with corporates to set up daycare centers near their offices or within their premises and i think there is so much more scope to do more tie ups with corporates do you know interesting takes on how preschool and daycares need to be done i'm sure like the ways of education has evolved over the last decade or so so incorporating some of those newer ways doing decent marketing and then maybe even going the franchisee route um if you can or you know just do it uh, a company uh, just do it yourself uh, expand by by raising some money through private equity or venture capital yeah that's that's my whole uh, spiel on on why i'm excited about this this segment there are two things i want to add over here number one one of the first internships i ever did was with an economist in ireland and the entire internship was about looking into the impact of early childhood intervention uh, and how that has basically for poor people and um, and seeing how helping poor mothers or single mothers um, like very early in the child's life Uh, how that that has an impact throughout the entire child's life if you even slightly improve the child's life in the first 6 months in the first year in the first 2 years it has a big impact on their overall achievement throughout the entire life um and there are a lot of studies that show all of that so what you were talking about you know about like how uh, in the first 5 years there's a lot of like impact on the development and all that stuff it's 100% true there are a lot of programs around the world that are trying to uh, impact children really really early in their lives so that they have overall better lives um okay that's number 1 number 2 uh, is that uh, i don't know if you know this but there is a law so i w- i was just looking it up while you were talking 
So under the Maternity Benefit Amendment Act of 2017, so number one, that increased maternity leave from 12 weeks to 26 weeks uh, for companies with at least 10 employees. But another part of that law is any company with 50 or more employees has to provide daycare or creche facilities as of 1st July 2017. So this has been a law for the last four years. I have never seen a company really implement this. Um, what I have heard of companies doing, like companies that have so many employees, is usually they tie up with a daycare or a crash facility within 500 meters of their office. I don't know if this is implemented, but that is what I heard that some companies do. So uh, you were mentioning one of these startups, something with a K, what was it? Uh, K. So in this kind of scenario where this law exists, and this is a typical Indian thing where a law exists, but there's zero implementation, clay, the clay model of having crash facilities in like, certain hotspots and then having uh, companies uh, in that area come like send their kids there or send their employees kids over there um, i think that is a perfect model right so like for example if i was in bombay um, i would set up a large crash facility maybe in parel low parel or andheri east or something like that which these are like hotspots for um, a lot of businesses the rent is really high but it's okay because then all those businesses over there uh, they will send their kids to your to your daycare. Yeah, I, I think the B2C daycare model might be slightly more competitive in the bigger cities. And hence, uh, the other thing that I was thinking of um, along the same lines is if you target the tier two, tier three cities uh, right now where there is uh, there is enough disposable income in a certain strata of society within those cities uh, where where the probably the nuclear family problem is not as big because tier two cities, tier three cities generally have like families living together. But this whole point on zero to five years and the importance of on, on having sort of the right interventions and right kind of environments there uh, could be interesting to see if you could build a chain of these of these preschool daycare centers just directly to B2C also not going through corporates. I mean, it is happening, right? There's so many of these being built. And, you know, as we're talking, I realized that num the number one thing for daycare centers is trust. Yeah. Um, first of all, uh, renting out all these facilities, it's going to be high capital cost. Uh, you have to like make it look nice and all that stuff. You have to also train the teachers really well. That's like training is going to be super important. And then CCTV cameras to make sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so my sister, my sister lives in the US and her daycare center, the one that she sends her, uh, my nephew to. Um, at any point in the day, you can just open their app and you can watch what the kids are doing. Exactly. Uh, and uh, my my dad constantly goes there and just like watches like the kids like playing and stuff like that. Oh, he that is so it. interesting. That is so interesting. Yeah, because this is not even he's not like checking on the kid. He just wants to see his grandson, you know, just play. That's such an interesting uh, way to like, you know, keep your grandparents updated, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's a little bit more tech enabled and I would be surprised if that doesn't exist in India. I don't think so. I've never heard of somebody doing this in India, but also the Indian market is 90% unorganized. So, so whatever we're talking about, this kidsy Euro kids is just 10% of the market. So I was getting to this whole point is the whole trust thing. The reason that's important is um, my wife... Uh, she told me this crazy story. Um, uh, she, her, she used to be sent to a daycare center when she was really young. And eventually they found out that this entire daycare center, daycare, quote unquote center, uh, the lady used to just give all the kids chocolate and then she used to just leave for hours afterwards. 
Um, so like that kind of trust also uh, you need to build, you know, and uh, in the unorganized sector, obviously this, this is going to be an issue. But like you said, you know, CCTV cameras, you know, this kind of like app where you can. Um, oh, and that is an idea. Why not build a general daycare app, right? That directly um, links into this and uh, you just put your own branding and uh, yeah, it's, it's a product. And uh, yeah, so white label this product and then you can, uh, the kids and teachers can have, like the kids and parents can have an interaction on the app about the child's development and whatever is happening once a month, once in a quarter or whatever. Yeah, that would be interesting. And I think this would be interesting even to serve the international markets, right? Yeah, no reason. This doesn't have to be in India. You can sell it to whoever in the world. Yeah, And I think, uh, sorry, just one more point. This is not something that's going to get disrupted by tech because there is no way you can do preschool daycare without physically sort of taking care of the kids, right? This is not going to be, uh, oh, like online courses and like you can now study on YouTube or an academy or whatever. Um, so the physical aspect is always going to stay um, is what I feel. I, I would not trust a robot to to raise my kids. And anyways, right now, there's so much discussion about the impact of edtech on kids, whether it is actually having uh, an impact. Yeah. So uh, the future of edtech is still not written. Uh, but this daycare is not a space, I agree with you, that's going to get impacted by edtech as much. Unless like the, you, the daycare is just like you put them in a giant theater where it's just like this big screen with like White Hat Junior videos playing. You're obsessed with White Hat Junior. Dude, I just hate the business model so much because you're you're just like taking advantage of like... So so I don't agree with this, right? I think obviously White Hat Junior has gotten a lot of slack and I, I do agree some of their marketing practices, some of, some of the stuff that they've done is questionable. But I do see at a certain age group nowadays, the importance of learning coding can help sort of build that logical mindset, right? And I say that as a consumer where my younger brother, um, who's in 11th, uses White Hat Jr. for his coding and stuff like that. Now, if if I take him as an example, like in 10th, whatever he was studying in school was just crap computer science, whatever, like just absolute basics, no coding languages, no nothing, because that's for a general audience, people who might or might not be interested in computers or might or might or might not have caliber in computer science. But after, after he started taking this course over the last 10 months, uh, 10 or eight to 10 months, he's been so much more interested in this whole thing of like Python and like, how do I create some of these interesting things? So I do see a market Pushing it as aggressively as White Hat did, probably not. Uh, I would disagree with how they did it there. But I do see the market as something that's interesting. I agree with you there that there is a need, but how they did it is terrible. And I also agree with you as somebody who who has a bachelor's in math. I completely agree with you about the benefits of teaching this kind of logical thinking at an early age. What's next? Just a second. Oh, yeah. Something I read recently uh, in a newsletter. Former and recent Horowitz partner Legion has raised a $13 million fund focused on the creator economy. Her investments in the space already include Substack, Stir, Descript, and Dumpling. I've never heard of Stir, Descript, and Dumpling, but I was recently recently listening to a podcast with uh, Legion, and she's like all in on the creator economy. And uh, what she, I think, calls the passion economy as well. Um and personally, I am also very optimistic about the passion economy. So like what we are doing is part of the passion economy, right? Except there is no economic aspect to it because we're not making money. So this is just passion, I guess. But yeah. 
Yeah, but like you know stuff like this, like uh, making podcasts, um, having a blog, um, you know, writing, all that stuff is is part of the passion economy, and um, and how this is different from the gig economy. Like the gig economy was just like you do giving a commoditized product, right? Uh, where just you just drive around and you. I, I think the big difference is you're replaceable in the gig economy versus you're not replaceable in the creator economy. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I mean. Uh, in the gig economy, you're doing a commoditized, you're doing commoditized work. In the passion economy or the creator economy, everyone is differentiated. But the problem with the creator economy is that in any market that is heterogeneous and that is not homogeneous. What I mean by that is where there's a clear difference between people who are good and people who are bad. Most of the money is going to pool to the people who are the best. So that's where you end up with like. most of the money like 90% of the money ends up with the top 5% of the so like the joe rogans of the world for example like joe rogan got a 200 million dollar 100 podcast million. deal 100 million dollar podcast deal uh, we don't even have any, a, a small percentage of that and one of the other big problems i see with the creator economy is distribution uh, how do you solve distribution in the creator economy right it's uh, it's it's really hard for people to find podcasts it's really hard for people to find like blogs um how do you solve for that issue um i think that's a big question and i think if distribution can be solved in some way so that even small people uh like us are found more easily then i think you know this can this 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 space can really bloom yeah. um and a lot and instead of go, doing gigs like uh, uber like driving in uber or whatever you can really follow your passion in like creative stuff like this yeah i think that's going to happen man uh, i think that is there is uh, more innovation that's happening on all the problems that you described um, helping creators earn more money uh, and i think she wrote a brilliant article on why a creator middle class is extremely important right to your point on on the wealth not being concentrated on the top 5 7% um, who hit that sort of flywheel of sorts where they hit the initial distribution and then out of fomo a lot of more people are just like constantly paying them more money but i think the flip side of it is also true is because of this whole thing on creator economy and how easy it is to now create stuff uh, the quality also becomes a challenge right because a lot of creators initially are finding their feet and and you know doing a lot of stuff to like really discover the passion um, and come up with something that can be valued by people to give you know uh, yours and my example our first few podcasts were cringe uh i i do you think we knew what we were doing it's evolved significantly since and i think we have some uh understanding of what we are trying to build here but uh it is it is it's something it's a space that's so new right now that over the next 3 4 5 years you will see a lot more innovation a lot more tech companies trying to solve for distribution trying to solve for monetization and stuff like that but a very exciting space and and lee obviously uh has done some fantastic work and the kind of company she's invested in is fantastic yeah um so i i think yeah i completely agree with you that there will be a lot more innovation in this space and this is a space to watch out for yeah. in my opinion to see what is happening because also with each new technology that comes out it gives um new space for you to create some new project so i'm not um, so i'm not even saying that uh, you go out and create that technology but for example with clubhouse um you couldn't get big on podcast but maybe you can get big on clubhouse it's a new it's a new platform every new platform is basically a clean slate um you can you can build a new big audience over there 
and so, i think i i think the core reason why we're seeing a rise of this and i think is the fact that at the core of it human beings want that independence um for that time they don't like being told that you need to do xyz for xyz hours and i will pay you xyz money a lot of people are choosing lesser money for that independence and what creator economy or passion economy does is is that's the core of it right everything is in your control you decide you know what you want to work on how you want to work on probably less money right now but maybe hopefully over a uh, over a period of time a lot of these people are able to earn um, similarly to what they would have in a particular job yeah eventually we're going to quit our jobs and podcasting is going to be our main job sure we'll see when that happens anyway moving on uh, what do you have next invoice factoring now it sounds so exciting to that invoice factoring oh, i'm really excited i don't know if i'm, I'm the only nerd um, for like fintech and smes and stuff like that but invoice factoring is something that is so exciting invoice factoring which if people have been in the in the fintech world will say that hey this is overdone already a lot of companies already exist uh, but before i go into all of that what is invoice factoring it's basically uh, a way to discount your invoices so let's say you have an invoice 10 lakh rupees uh, to a particular company and that's supposed to be paid in 3 months from now there are invoice discounting or invoice factoring companies where you can present this invoice and say that hey i need the money today i'm ready to pay a certain interest on top of it why don't you just release the the capital for this invoice because i'm anyways going to get the money 3 months down the line so what the invoice factoring company will do is give you 80% of the entire invoice value up front and they will charge you money on like they will charge you interest plus some processing fees and what not and when the money is finally released um 3 months down the line they will you know deduct their interest rates and stuff like that and give you the the rest of it from the 20% uh this has been done in india there are multiple companies that are doing this there's credex trade cred there is um I forget the name bulk udhar that's doing it there are a bunch of people who are trying to do this and they are also trying to do this in a p2p manner right where where you can post the invoice and somebody uh, who has free liquid cash can say that I want to fund this invoice because the company that they are selling to is trustable and stuff like that uh, that's already happening trustable you just made that word it's not a word what is the word trustworthy okay so trustworthy right now today the market is still 0.3% of gdp which is extremely small compared to even the other countries other developing countries like brazil um and a few other uh, developing countries where the the invoice factoring market is 3 to 4% gdp so you can imagine the kind of growth that we can still do here right now let me first start with what the government is trying to do there's a trades receivable you know electronic discounting whatever treads that's what it's called um there's a platform where if you're working with government entities if you're supplying to government entities certain government entities you can put up the invoices there and you can get those bills discounted now this was till now at least uh, the discussions are uh, till now it was only for those certain government entities and if you're supplying and bunch of other conditions and only public sector banks were allowed to discount this what's being discussed right now in this budget and is being pushed for is to open up the trades platform one to say that all government entities have to be on that platform registered on that platform so you should be able to discount any and all kinds of invoices to government entities the second thing that's being discussed is open up the platform for nbfcs 
let NBFCs come and pick up invoices and say that I am ready to fund this. As soon as that happens, NBFCs obviously can take significantly more risk uh, because of the kind of interest rates and stuff like that. Um, I think the market is just going to blow up. If you're somebody who's in this world, the obvious opportunity, one, you know, for an individual who's not in the fintech world is go check out these platforms like Credex, TradeCred and stuff like that and see if you want to, you know, deploy some of your capital there to to get a decently high ROI compared to an FT. This is not investment advice. Do your due diligence. Um, I, I now realize why people, people do this, right? But that's one way where I know a lot of people who've done this and earned a decent amount of rate of interest on that um, at a fairly secured, uh, in a fairly secured model. But the other thing that I'm excited about is can you find niches within this? Can you target certain kind of industries? Let's say the polymer industry. Polymer is basically the plastic granules industry, right? Because I've worked in this industry, I know for a fact that the unorganized sector charges up to 3% a month as discounting rate or like the rate of interest for raw material financing or uh, or for, for selling these goods, right? you can raise capital at a much cheaper rate than that and still make a decent amount of money by charging, let's say, 2% per month, right? Which is also like significantly high ROI. Can you find niches within the trade, within the invoice factoring market and just go after that particular industry and try to discount the bills in that industry by doing due diligence on the companies that you're discounting? That's the that's the core idea. Okay. As somebody who's actually been on the other side of invoice factoring and we, we get our invoices discounted all the time there are a couple of options and like stuff like threads and all these other platforms that you mentioned are really 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 useful they're really good and especially for small companies um, um it's it's really important that they do this kind of stuff right because you need to have that cash in hand so that you can um you can focus on growth and especially in, in india where uh, getting money from your clients is such a hassle um it gets even more important uh, to secure at least some of your payment uh, ahead of time a lot of the big companies like the Tatas and the Godrej's and all those companies, they actually have this stuff in-house. So they have something called a vendor financing scheme or a VFS. So they use these VFSs to basically help finance their vendors so that uh, basically they get more vendors on their platform. They get um, they get better terms from their vendors because they give able to give them uh, this kind of like financing themselves. Um, etc etc so for the companies themselves there's a lot of benefits and also for the vendors there's a lot of benefits but obviously they use this to push you on other terms i mean obviously yeah um, and also oftentimes um, a lot of these vfs schemes they always say like oh no our scheme is full uh, so that is also an issue sometimes but personally as somebody um, running a small business medium business these kind of yeah in invoice factoring there's a huge benefit and if you are from building a business point of view, I have no idea uh, how to build a business in invoice factoring. Uh, I'm not from the fintech background, but uh, for people like us, yeah, um, it, it's it's a win-win for everyone. Hundred percent, yeah. So I th- I guess uh, the other side to it is if you're running, you know, one of these small, medium-sized manufacturing or service business where you have a lot of invoices which get paid uh, far out you know, 30, 60 days, consider getting those invoices factored for your working capital needs. Okay. So moving on to the next one, uh, this is something somebody messaged me recently. They were looking for a webcam, uh, a good quality webcam, because a lot of their meetings obviously are still uh, on the computer. And they were like, dude, uh, this is a huge white space, man. Logitech owns everyone uh, in this market. 
Um, have you spent an hour searching for a good webcam and I can't find anything except for Logitech? Uh, is any Indian company giving Logitech a real run for its money? Number one, electronics manufacturing in India is a huge white space in itself. Um, there is not a lot of electronics manufacturing that's happening. Uh, number two, uh, the overall market size of webcams, I must have been dwindling for many, many, many years. But I think now is going to see a slow increase as more and more people are going are going to stay remote. Um, and so I don't think this is a huge market. Uh, this is a small market. Uh, but uh, yeah, th there is export potential here as well. And if I think this is a pure Amazon FBA play, right? If you are just able to maybe manufacture, uh, sell it on Amazon FBA or FAA. And uh, yeah, it just, it's a, yeah, I, I think you could build a decent size, not a giant business out of this. I don't know, man. I honestly don't know if you can enter the market right now and still create something because as he rightly pointed out, Logitech owns everyone in this sector. Uh, and then there are, you know, the Sonys of the world and stuff like that, the Panasonics of the world. I don't know how you enter this market now and try and still create a name for yourself. It needs to be a widely different take on the camera, significantly better, completely different design where it's handy, foldable or something like that, or um, it's just cheap, right? Unless you can achieve any of these, I don't see how you can, um, how you can really enter the market. Um, and even if you have to do this, uh, it's going to be significant capex to do the research and, and, and stuff like that to come up with these kind of innovations. Uh, so an existing player trying out their hands at webcam, sure. But a new entrant trying to beat Logitech or the other brands, difficult. Or a completely different uh, take on this. Can you do white label manufacturing for these companies? Because a lot of companies are looking at a China plus one strategy. And a lot of uh, people are looking for made in India or, or non-made in China products i can i can get behind that especially because uh, there's production linked incentives for electronic goods so you can get like four to seven percent um you know raw material cost recovered through subsidies um if you set up in gujarat by the way i got to know this from somebody who's in vadodra my relatives who live in vadodra their family friends or somebody was able to get their machines financed at two or three percent um uh, rate of interest 6% is what like the going rate is and then Gujarat government gave them a 50% subsidy on the interest um, so Gujarat by the way is doing significant amount of like combining uh, the central subsidies and the state level subsidies Gujarat is doing some phenomenal work in manufacturing uh, places like you know near Vrodhra near Ahmedabad uh, so I can get behind that uh, where you could supply to these you know larger companies as contract manufacturers okay I think that's it. Um, moving on, uh, the other day, Siddharth, you were complaining to me about how your non-alcoholic beer tastes like Limka. <laughs> so one, let me explain why non-alcoholic beer, right? I hope a lot more people relate to this and it's just not me, where as I've grown older, my ability to drink alcohol and survive the next day has reduced. So hangovers are terrible. I end up sort of wasting half or most of my next day. Don't enjoy that feeling at all. Hence, I said that, you know, why... And non-alcoholic beers in the US are getting like really popular, by the way. Uh, they're decently large brands that have established in the non-alcoholic sector. Mushroom beers is, is something that we've discussed previously. So 
that's something that i'm extremely interested in as a um, as a sector and i thought let me give it a shot in a, give me let me give it a shot in india uh if you go on amazon there is ho garden there is budweiser there's hennekin that is doing non alcoholic beer but i went with like a newer brand i'm not going to take the name because i'm going to diss on them very soon i went with this new brand seemed like you know somebody doing it out of india and dude it tasted like limka like it genuinely tasted like limka the sugar content the like it, it was limka i for all i know they're just repackaging limka uh, it, it was like a ginger beer or, or i don't even know what it was uh, i've tasted two of two of their flavors the two of them like one of them was still okay the one was just limka pure limka i'm going to try the third one but i do think in the next 5 10 years there is going to be more and more requirement or demand for like non alcoholic beers for parties and stuff like that uh where people are going to say i want to drink in my hand but i don't want this sugary drink which is like you know coke or any of the other things um and and something that you know not that bad to my body and can give me the taste of the beer if possible i'm yet to try the hanikin zero or the budweiser uh, non alcoholic beer and stuff like that hopefully those are better but yeah i i mean i don't have a point of view because it might just be me who's trying to consume non alcoholic beer it might not be a market in india but if somebody knows of a better brand uh, please do let me know oh by the way uh, on the same lines i went to a new organic store uh, in indore uh, organic gourmet store in indore uh, started by a friend and uh, he asked me if you drink beer and i got excited and i said yes because i thought he was going to give me some fancy beer and he said no you should stop drinking beer here's some kombucha try this this is as good as beer uh, so maybe kombucha is the replacement it was a bombucha brand no i forget the name of the the company uh, but it was decent kombucha man like i i didn't i didn't hate it it was decent i could i could probably try it again we have probably 10 bottles of kombucha in my fridge my wife loves kombucha but um it's also healthy right depends on how much sugar there is um i mean for all of these like health fads it's a big question mark is it healthy or not whatever i don't care there's a guy in la he's called uh, kombucha dave uh, you, you should watch the youtube video about him he be- literally became a billionaire off of kombucha uh, no he's called bt dave sorry he's called bt dave um the, the youtube video about him is just insane he looks like a crazy person i would highly recommend watching it if you like if you like drama and gossip it's a it's a great youtube video <laughs> but uh, going back to the topic about alcohol non alcohol non alcohol i was recently reading an article in the guardian or something like that about this bar in london uh, where this guy has created some kind of uh, alcohol or like he he makes cocktails that do not give you a hangover So I was just reading this article a couple of weeks ago, and I tried looking for it right now. I couldn't find it. Um, but uh, basically, he had six normal margaritas one day, and he had a terrible hangover the next day. And then, like two days later, he had uh, six of these non-hangover margaritas, and he had no hangover the next day. So apparently, this is a thing. And if it if it actually works, and if it's not bad for you, I guess then. this i could see that becoming a big thing man uh because there is some there is some play on this in india already right like there's just uh, these um ayurvedic brands uh, 
I think Akiva has as a hangover shot or or something like this. There's Himalayan, uh, Himalayan, the Himalaya, Himalayan. I don't know, uh, but they have a party smart pill. I don't know how bad they are or how good they are to your body. Um, and if if it means that I have to harm my body twice, one because of drinking alcohol and the second time because of taking this, you know, non hangover thing, I don't know if it's worth it anymore, man. Yeah, so I mean, I was when I was reading this article, what this guy was basically saying was that alcohol production has not really changed for a long, long, long time. The way they make alcohol is exactly the same, and all these companies are proud of the fact that they are making the alcohol the same way that they've been making it for like hundreds or thousands of years. Um, and he wants to change that now. Whether or not it works, I have no bloody idea. Uh, I guess if it works, it might become a big thing, and this could be what disrupts the big alcohol brands. Or I'm just talking like complete faff. Uh, this is something that I think both silent agree. We are not sure if this is ever going to be a big enough market, or if there's any ever going to be a change. Uh, it might just be me who who hates the hangovers. Oh, also, if at any point in the episode, if you thought that Sahil's voice was different today, it's because the man is significantly hungover. Uh, when I asked him what time do we record the episode tomorrow, I asked him this yesterday. He said, let me just wake up and figure out if I'm in any state to record this. Uh, so, so it was the hangover that made his voice more mature, I guess. Yeah, it's quite base compared to usual. Yeah. Um, okay, let's close it out.